The way that we work now, this kind of rushing around in ever-decreasing circles, and that, you know, my book's called The Crazy Busy Cure for a reason, because people kept saying to me all the time, oh, I'm crazy busy, crazy busy, like it was a really good thing, and it's just insane. So, and as I say, I'm very privileged to coach some fantastic people that I learn lots from. And I just realized that there was a huge split between the people that managed to rise above this stuff and did really well, and the people that got mired in that whole short-term versus long-term and kept saying, oh no, I don't have time to do this. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest this week is someone who's going to help us look at one of the biggest problems faced by many of my clients. Indeed, it's probably the the number one challenge that people present when we look at how we can convert the, the ideas that I share into practice that work. The trouble is that everyone is crazy busy. And Zena Everett is a coach who's written a book called The Crazy Busy Cure, and she focuses on helping people to understand how to manage their diaries effectively and for our purposes, understand how we can use that time more effectively, not just to do the job that we're expected to do, but to build the relationships that make that job easier in the long term. So that's where I started off with Zena. I shared this challenge that many of my clients share. I work a lot with professional services where people are often judged on billable hours. And I shared how many of the sales teams I work with are faced with short-term goals. So all of these pressures are building up and yet we still need to build strong relationships. So I asked Zena, how do we strike the right balance and find the time? So that's such an interesting question. I think it's a question of, in a way, is defining what we actually mean by relationships. Because, so, so what I've learned, I'm a leadership coach, as you know. Why do all coaches, we either say we're executive or leadership or both, but anyway, that's that's the subject for another podcast, is what I've observed about my clients over the last year is that we've all kept the show on the road, but it, we're, we're operating within a very narrow kind of ecosystem often of our own existing relationships. So I appreciate that's slightly different if people are in some kind of business development role. But generally speaking, most people are working within the network they already have, more or less. Now, that's great, but we've got to get the the train on the tracks and the show on the road a bit quicker. And in order to do that, we can't just keep feeding in the same information from people like us who think the way that we do, that we've worked with for years, we've got to be curious and we've got to, we've got to build relationships outside of the organization and inside the organization. So we have to find time to build relationships because otherwise, Andy, we risk being blindsided by something happening that we don't have the tools to deal with because business is changing so quickly and the world is changing so quickly. So that's the first thing. It's not a kind of nice to have, I'd like to have a relationship, you know, for the Christmas party maybe coming up. It's not about that. It's like fundamentally, we all need to know more. We need to, we need to get out there and find out what's going on and be genuinely curious to spark our own creativity and help us innovate. Because the people that will be most successful going forwards are the ones that are innovating. Now, how do we find the time? That's the million dollar question, I suppose, is I'm an ex-recruiter and I always go back to first principles with my clients when I'm coaching them is to say, look, what are you actually measured on? Now, if you're in professional services, so I did my, I think my 10,000 hours of learning my stuff by working with chartered accountants. And they come to a level fairly soon in their careers where they've got to start building relationships and winning business. Otherwise, they're just going to be doing audits if they're in, you know, in, a, in a firm that is going to be doing audit forever, aren't they? So if they want to get on, they want to be considered for promotion. They've got to start winning business. So it's not a nice to have. It's something they need to find time to do. So I would say to somebody, really think about what you're being measured on 
if you're not being measured on for winning, for building new relationships, then you still need to build relationships for your own development and your own competence. However, it's not so acute. If your jobs, like your example in professional services, is to, is to win business, you simply have to schedule in time to do that. Because as we know, like time management 101 is if it's not scheduled, it doesn't happen. So there has to be some kind of power hour the same way if you wanted to become a better cricketer, you've got to plan time at the nets, haven't you? I'm really floundering here. <laughs> I'm not a cricketer, but I imagine you've got to practice. And it doesn't happen unless you think, okay, well, I've booked that slot from seven to eight or something. I've made a plan to go there. And it's the same thing. It has to be scheduled and it has to be, um, we have to stick to it. So it has to be some kind of discipline practice. I, I think that the biggest thing that comes uh, out of that for me is probably where I start when I'm talking to my clients. Uh, and that is, it has to be important enough. Uh, and if you understand what the what the return on investment of that time is, and you yeah. see the power of that ROI, then yeah. you're gonna you're gonna make the time to do it. If it's a fluffy go and build relationships because it's a nice thing to do, um, then 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 you're not gonna do anything about it. Yeah. Is is that the case with all time management? That ultimately we focus on where our short-term priorities lie? I guess we there's something called the Zygarnik effect, which means we're fixated by what we haven't done, not by what we have done. So we can do something really big, but you know, we're awake at three o'clock in the morning thinking, I haven't done this, and I haven't done that, and I need to do that, because we still think about the little things. And I suppose there is the immediate payoff of doing work that's straight in our comfort zone. But I'm really interested, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with crazy busyness because I realized early on as a coach that no matter how great my clients were at doing their job and how competent, really the difference between being very successful or not was where they choose to pay attention every day. And, you know, we are, it's such a cliche, but we are the sum of all the micro decisions we make every moment about where we focus our time and attention. So we are what we do all day. That's the, that's the bottom line. And so what I've realized is that there's this concept of drag, which I'm sure you've heard many people moan about already on here. And that's all the stuff that gets in the way of the important things. So for, for example, do you, well, guess, how many emails do you think are sent around the world every single day? I'll be in the billions, I would think. 300 billion. <laughs> 300 billion. So, so what we're talking about here, we're talking about relating, aren't we? Which is the, the beating heart of human connection. And whether we're, you know, introverts or extroverts, I, I'm, you know, that's, we're not going down that rabbit hole, but we've established that we all need human relationships to be good at our job, to enjoy what we do, to survive and so on. That's why we're talking about it today. So we can kid ourselves because we've been busy responding to some of these emails and contributing to them that we're kind of connecting. And so, so what I think is, is that people spend a lot of time doing what they think is relationship building, but it's not relationship building, is it? And I'm sure you've had countless guests on here. I've heard them saying, you know, sending me an invitation to connect on LinkedIn or saying, what did Dory Clark say? You know, just emailing me, messaging me saying, oh, can you connect me to such and such? That's not building relationship, is it? That's probably terminating relationships. So I think when people say to us, look, I just don't have time to do that. It might be because they are they're putting too much pressure on themselves to build a, you know, some massive relationship from, you know, I've got, I found this wonderful mentor who's going to guide me through my career. Actually, you just want a bit of information from somebody or you want to do, you know, you want to build a connection with that person. So I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves, but also brutally at the risk of sounding like your granny, you know, Facebook proudly tell us that people spend two and a half hours a day on average on that site, which I am not on anymore. Um, and I think Instagram, which sadly I am on, takes at least half an hour of my time a day, probably more. Um, that's not really relationship building. That is building connections with very, very, very loose ties, not the loose ties that we know are the ones that opportunities come from, the kind of, you know, friends of 
friends of our auntie, you know. So I think we have to really think about what we do all day and that the organizational psychologists call all this stuff that we do that gets in the way drag. Social media is just one of them. Obviously, meetings about meetings that are pointless without an agenda is a huge waste of our time. So we have to look at all those time sucks. God, I've gone around the houses to answer that question. <laughs> well, let, well, let's come back to them. Let's talk, come back to meetings. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk about those 300 billion emails a day. I, I don't get all of them, by the way. But I, I know that my most productive time in terms of the deep work I need to do is first thing in the morning. Yeah. Uh, why we're recording this at four o'clock, I don't know. <laughs> but I know that uh, my attention span, my concentration, my energy levels are at their prime first thing in the morning. Yeah. And yet, what I what do I do first thing in the morning before anything else? I clear my email inbox. Uh, yeah. And actually, today, the day we're recording this is a really good example because it's my first day back after a week off. And I had, uh, the first thing I did was the right thing I think to do was list what do I need to get done today? What do I need to achieve today? Then mm. I looked at my email inbox, and that was on the list, to be fair, but it wasn't the most the one that needed the deepest thinking. And I cleared the emails I could clear quickly. Mm. I always say to people, if you want a quick response from me, make, make it simple and quick to read and simple and quick to answer. Anything else gets held over. And there are about 10 emails from this morning that I haven't dealt with yet because they need more thought and consideration in the response. So that means I feel like I've done things today. They're not, the email inbox isn't hanging over me. And yes, I have got through my to-do list, although I haven't got through all of those bigger, uh, chunkier emails. I'm pretty happy with my productivity today. But am I, go am I doing things the wrong way around? Am I just making myself feel good because that, that weight, that drag of that email inbox is clear, but I'm not actually making the most of my time and, and using it in the most effective way? Oh, I love this. Okay, get on my couch. So, okay. So, so I think the first thing is if I'm, uh, if I'm triaging my emails, I think I hate them. I really hate them. And just an aside, you know, we are, we are humans. <laughs> we are, we are, we, we thrive and flourish on human connection. We do not thrive. We thrive and flourish doing stuff like this, don't we? This is the first time we've met. It's really lovely. So this is, this is what makes me feel good about myself. I do not feel good about myself staring at a screen, clearing emails. I mean, that's for sure. So you've just come back from holiday and I think you're dead right to spend a couple of hours on the first morning back, actually not rushing into something and committing to something new, just calming down and grounding yourself to find out what's going on. I think that there's a whole load of stuff that you, you came up with. I think the first thing would be to clear the drag, don't cause it. So are you a bottleneck? Is somebody waiting for something? So if somebody is waiting for something from you, then obviously get rid of it and deal with it. I love to ignore emails for 24 hours because I don't want people to think that every time they respond to me or they send me an email, I'm going to respond straight away, partly because I, I earn my living selling my time. And I think if they think I'm responding straight away, they'll realize that, you know, maybe I'm not as good as I tell you I am. So, so I'm being flippant here. But what many of us do, I think, and, and I, I'm fortunate enough to, to quiz people on this all the time. I think most of us have a rough idea of what's in our inbox. But we say to somebody, look, if there's a drama, ring me. You know, don't text me, don't WhatsApp me, just pick up the phone and call me. You've got a problem, I'll sort it out. And that's actually a kind of part of my deal with my clients is to say, you know, you retain me. So if you need me, call me. And if I can pick up the phone, I will do and we'll deal with it. So there's an element of that. My, my thing is you've got to, oh, you've got to know your antelope. So if we think of the lions, they don't spend their time chasing small furry critters even though they'd be quite easy to catch. Because they say, ladies, because the ladies hunt apparently, look, let's just let it go because it's not worth it because we couldn't live on the calories that we get from all those field mice. So let's just keep our powder dry. I'm mixing my metaphors all over the place today, but let's just keep our powder dry and let's go after those lions only. So we need to do the same 
and go after the lions and let a lot of the field mice go, go. And the problem is that you can very easily get sucked into an email conversation when a couple of, you know, a phone call would deal with it. So, the, so in an ideal world, what you would do is maybe get rid of a few field mice, so emails first thing every day. So you've actually you're you're actioning them, you're you're moving the workflow along. But as soon as you possibly can, you work on a scheduled antelope. So you think, right, what was the one thing I really need to get done today? And I do one. I've stopped doing three. And I've said that to my clients, like, do one, anything else, and that is a bonus. So what is the biggest thing that I would could do today that would make a difference to my career, my bonus, my targets, my whatever it is, my, my business? And, and why don't I do that? And I try and schedule those in the night before. So I think, okay, I've got, you know, I've got that time between 9 and 10.30. I'm going to write that thing or write the proposal or whatever it is. So I've actually got it scheduled in my diary. So I, so I pimp my time. I know my priorities, my antelopes. I schedule them in my diary. So my diary has got lovely chunks. I've put them in green of green time to do my priority tasks. I mean it. So it's got to be significant and impactful. Otherwise, I don't bother. And then the big thing is I set myself alarms all the time. So I have an alarm when I need to start something. So if I'm doing my emails at nine and I'm going to, I've got pimp time at 9.30, I'll have an alarm going off at 9.30. And if I know I've got to stop because I've got a session at 11, I'll set myself an alarm at quarter to 11. So I don't get lost. I feel I'm still in control, but I've got my week has got time blocked out. And um, somebody contacted me and said, you know, that's such an obvious idea. I love it when people say my ideas are really straightforward. You think, oh, taken me years to come up with that but he said I had to do um I was getting really stressed because I was a bet I have to do a best man speech and I hate it so I just blocked out two hours went to my local cafe drafted it as best I could it's still not right but it's nearly there and I feel so much better so that's to answer your question I think that's what we have to do is is make sure you've got your your priority tasks scheduled because otherwise you'll get to four o'clock and you'll think hmm what was the thing I really needed to get done today? And we have well, to bear this is day one back from holidays. So you might be feeling in control now, but let's talk again in a month. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, this is one thing that I've done. I've, I, I, I read Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I've yes, got, um, I've mentioned on the podcast before. Yes. And I've got Deep Work scheduled in my diary for tomorrow. Uh, I, I, I left it clear today, uh, but up two or three days a week, I'll have Deep Work yes. sessions in my diary. Yeah, I was really good the first six months. Phone went off, everything went off. You couldn't reach me, uh, and everyone was instructed, you know, within the team, do not contact me in these hours. Now I just block it off, and I I need yeah. to probably get back to that level of discipline uh, because it makes a huge difference. Um, I, I still want to come back to the meetings, but there's there's just something I want to drive in a, a little bit more on what you said because a lot of what you've talked about there is effectively chunking. You're yeah. chunking parts of the day for certain tasks. Now, you, yeah. you, you referenced the, the Dory Clark uh, uh, episode a few weeks ago where we talked about short-term versus long-term thinking. Yeah. Uh, and I think this really comes down to the dilemma we find ourselves with because one of the biggest drivers of the pressure on, on our time is short-term targets, short-term yeah. goals. Uh, your appraisal, the quarterly reporting on the New York Stock Exchange uh, of your organization, what it might be. Surely when you're chunking your day and you're saying, I'm going to focus on one thing, not three, it's going to be the tasks that relate to those pressing targets that, that get prioritized and not the relationship building, which even if you accept it's important, is easy to uh, push back. Uh, because you've got a big project on hand at the moment. How can what we've talked about making it important, but I want to drill a bit more deeply into practical ways because I think you and I saying you have to make it important is not strong enough for people. And I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. How can we make that sticky so that people can remain focused on their long term priorities, building yeah. strong relationships that are going to make those short term targets easier next year? Yeah. Well, you know, the way that we work now, this kind of rushing around 
in ever decreasing circles. And that, you know, my book's called The Crazy Busy Cure for a reason, because people kept saying to me all the time, oh, I'm crazy busy, crazy busy. Like it was a really good thing. And it's just insane. So, and as I say, I'm very privileged to coach some fantastic people that I learn lots from. And I just realized that there was a huge split between the people that managed to rise above this stuff and did really well. And the people that got mired in that whole short-term versus long-term and kept saying, oh no, I don't have time to do this. And when I do um, talks back in the day, I'd say to people, you know, think about what's the one thing that you need to do this quarter of this next six months that would have the most significant impact on your on your business or your remit to your organization and how much time do you spend on it so they'd normally write down two or three things and say okay well which one of those would have the greatest impact and that you know that would have a domino effect you don't need to do anything else and invariably they would say or generally people would say right there's one thing that if I could do it you know I want to go after that client or I want to put in that new system, or I want to fix this wretched problem that's been holding us back for years. If I could just focus on that, that would have the most significant impact, you know, on everything. Everything would click into face, and I would be the golden person. So, okay, well, you know, what gets in the way? And I, and so for me, I mean, it's brutally about prioritization and boundaries and unfortunately you know we go with this we have digitization layering a whole load of layer of work on top of the real work but we go right back to Stephen Covey stuff you know you start with the end in mind you put first things first and so on so it's almost as simple as knowing your boundaries saying no learning um you, um, you talked in an episode about learning small, you know, some people not being good at small talk, but actually all this kind of stuff, small talk, learning to say no, having those kind of career capital skills are really important to say, look, Andy, I know you want me to get involved in that project, but I just don't have the bandwidth to do it now. I can do it. I can do it, you know, in four weeks time. So, so what happens is if we were running a production line, so say we're running a testing lab, and you came to me and said, can you please test this test tube? I wouldn't say, yeah, let me just stop this whole testing line I've got going on and put yours on in the middle, because that wouldn't work. We would say to you, because we're planned and we're organized, because we're in manufacturing and we're super agile and Kaizen and all that stuff, it's just in our DNA, just simply saying, you know, absolutely, you know, the, that, that finishes at four o'clock, so we'll put yours on then, we prioritize it. But those of us who are knowledge workers, which I, I suspect are most of people listening, we have so much feeling that we can say yes and say no and flex that we just underestimate what we do with our time. And we so I would one of the other things that I've noticed is that people always think we'll be less busy in a couple of weeks. So we go, yeah, yeah, no problem. Schedule it in. Imagining that we're going to have all this time, which we first of all, we never do. And secondly, we're really bad at asking for extensions. So somebody asks us to do something and we just say, yeah, okay. We might moan about it afterwards, but we don't say, yes, I can. But, you know, I'm working on this now. This is taking up my 168 hours of my week. So I can schedule it in next week. So we just try and make space all the time and we can't do it so what's happening is that we're working longer and longer hours and we had chatted about you know this whole idea that people are saving commuting time so they were doing all wonderful things you know really do you know anybody that's doing that what they're doing is sending more emails and you know and booking more meetings they're not doing great deep work actually some of them are some of them are but the more disciplined boundaried ones so, so we have to say no. We have to we have to toughen up and think. You know, you'll have two people who crop. Sorry, I talked over you. But that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we have you can have two people who who do exactly the same role, and they will both craft their jobs incredibly differently. And um, and I see this all the time. I'll see people who are savvy, who are busy. They have a very consuming hobby. They've got demands outside their their home life. Whatever it is. 
but they're really ruthless with their time because they just do what's important and they do it quickly. So, and whereas you'll have other people who try and do too much and they're kidding themselves that they're multitasking. So what they're doing when they're multitasking is just switching from one task to another. And every time we do that, you know, you, you respond to an email and then you try and go back to your deep work. I know you said you don't do that, which is great. But when we try and do it, we lose 10, 15 minutes all the time because we're trying to work out where we were. And the problem is, you know, you, comp- you compound that in the same way that you compound the time that we're wasting on Facebook. And the 15 minutes here, the 20 minutes here and so on that we waste is all very precious time that we're just, we're just letting slip between our fingers. So we have to stop multitasking. We have to do one thing at once. I mean, these are Stephen Covey's basics, but he didn't have to deal with email and digital demands and conflicting digital channels. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there that I I do want to revisit very much so. Um, It's interesting you talk about uh, being able to say no uh, to drags on your time and, and stopping yourself becoming busier and busier. So I do think we've made a virtue of being busy. And it, mm-hmm. it doesn't help us as individuals, and I don't think it helps us in terms of productivity. <clears throat> I think it's in France at the moment where they're experimenting with, or, or there's a, um, I think in the forthcoming election, one of the parties has put forward the four-day week. And yeah. there have been trials of the four-day week that have proven that productivity actually rises mm. uh, during it. I, I made a decision 10 years ago when, in 2011, I... Uh, I I brought out the second edition of my second book and my third book. And I was working weekends. My girlfriend at the time was as patient, patience of a saint just sat in the the lounge while I worked away. And I swore after that, I wouldn't work weekends again unless I needed to. And yeah, I'll speak at conferences and events at the weekend if I need to. Uh, And if I have pressing client work on a deadline, I will do it, but it's rare because I organise myself so I don't need to. And even if it's a miserable day outside and there's nothing to do and nowhere to go, I will do anything but work because I know that it's important that I have that reset. So you can do it. Uh, And I still know far too many people who are working at weekends. Uh, And it might not be weekends. I know some people are not working afternoons now, but they're working morning and evening, particularly with uh, the, the... the change in our work patterns, it's possible to create your own uh, working pattern. And that might include working at weekends and taking a couple of days off during the week. Yeah. I think for me, it's about being crystal clear on when you're on and when you're off. Mm. So if somebody wants to spend a couple of hours working on a Saturday morning, so they feel in control, but they're scheduled on that time, and then they're scheduled off for the rest of the weekend. That's great. I mean, we all have to take responsibility for this and know what works and what doesn't work for us. I mean, I love the idea. and It would just be great if the corporates got their head around this of allowing people to say, you know, I'm, an, I'm a real early riser. So I, if, you know, it really makes sense, like you're saying, to do the writing at a certain time of the day and then commute into work, for example, if a client say that to me, you know, why would I be commuting at seven o'clock in the morning when absolutely that is my best time to do focused, deep work? I'd far rather do it at home without interruption and then catch the nine o'clock, something like that. You know, there has to, we have to be flexible. Being a flexible employer is hardly a, you know, a big thing anymore. It's like being having a flat screen TV, isn't it? So, I mean, it should just be ubiquitous. We're all, we all should be flexible wherever possible to accommodate this. We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. Uh, I interviewed uh, Valerie Bellhassan, who's the uh, head of HR for BNP Paribas. And we talked about how they um, have adapted to remote working and how, how she sees things going moving forward. And if you, um, if you, as you're listening to this now, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that interview because it was a fascinating insight to a company that certainly from what Valerie said to me seems to be thinking in the way that you're talking. Uh, Valerie was saying to me that 
she was already or they were already um, trying to bring in uh, flexible working before the pandemic. And they're yeah. very much thinking in a different way about how how their employees work. So hopefully we're going to see uh, what what BNP Paribas found was that the pandemic accelerated what they were trying to bring in, but was dragging. And maybe we're going to start to see some. I'm not confident it's going to happen everywhere. I've seen other quotes from corporate leaders that don't instill me with the same confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but hopefully we'll start to see some of those corporates uh, embrace that flexibility and well, see that see that work for them. Well, we know there's a big demand for talent at the moment, and there's be there's quite a reshuffling shuffling around going on. And we know that giving people the opportunity to choose where they do their work, when they do their work, is one of the biggest bonuses that you can give them to be um, engaged and motivated. So why wouldn't you? Uh, But, you know, it comes down to management. And there are still, unfortunately, there are still companies that, that, you know, confuse productivity and presenteeism and, you know, because they're just managing on what people do and when their red light is on as opposed to their output. So, but I don't think good people are going to tolerate working in those environments for much longer. No, no. So let's talk about that working environment. Let's let's, let's go back to something you said much earlier uh, that I think is a really important point. And, and it's a point that we we've, we've have dedicated uh, an entire episode to in the past, and that is meetings. Yeah. You, you were talking about drag and you talked about how we're having too many meetings about meetings. So are we spending too much time in long meetings and can we use that time more thoughtfully in terms of relationship building? Yeah, I mean, what's the figure? I think they say that the average um, executive spends 23 hours a week on meetings. And I mean, you and I know if somebody cancels a meeting, particularly if they've they've paid in advance for it, you're not losing money over it. But if somebody cancels a meeting, you think, oh, my God, I've got an hour free. I mean, it's just the greatest gift, isn't it? And um, so, so, I mean, you know, it's all been said so many times, and we know this, that how many people still turn up for a meeting where they don't know what the payoff is that people want to get from that meeting. So there has to be a second meeting in order to, you know, it's just, um, it's just woeful, actually. And again, I think people are not going to tolerate it. And we're now we're trying to work out what the rhythm of a hybrid week is going to look like you know why would I come in for a meeting when half the other people in the meeting haven't come in they're sending me emails during the meetings it's just a mess we've got to get a grip so as you know uh, we have to start I like to put meetings in at quarter past the hour because then I think everybody will turn up on that note though what I like to do is I'm amazed on zoom why people don't turn up a bit earlier like we used to do and turn up in the meeting room so when it's a virtual meeting zoom team whatever I think it's a really nice idea to try and come in a little bit earlier and just have a chat I would say to people if they are going back into the office to try and use the time in between meetings to say look Andy I know you and I are on the update meeting but why don't we just have a chat for 15 minutes afterwards so we can catch up on what what each other's doing I mean whether that's virtual or in person that is a great opportunity to start building relationships and, and reconnecting with people so I think that's the first thing I like to start meetings on the quarter pass because I think that gives us 15 minutes for chit chat and then wham bam we start on the agenda there has to be a clear payoff when we invite people to the meeting I like it written with as a question so you know are we going to go ahead with the Birmingham office and what's the budget that we're happy with or something hopefully better than that but you know where I'm coming from that has to be clear I think you know we have to be able to say you have to not be control freaks we have to say actually you know I can attend that meeting but I've got really good people in my team and they need to you know, be useful for their development to go and attend that meeting instead of me. So I'm sending them along. You know, start doing that. Don't hang on to it just because it's in your diary. Similarly, just because somebody says, look, Zena, go to that meeting, you'd find it really interesting, should be able to think, hmm, yes, it might be really interesting, but there's other ways that I can get that information. So I'm saying no. So what I've noticed with some of my clients is that they are um, – they're now really thinking about what the purpose of that meeting is. So it's an FYI. It is ridiculous to say, 
right, everybody has to synchronously down tools and listen to this information at the same time. So they're sending out that information in, you know, in this kind of podcast format or whatever it is as a voice note, just saying, here's the information, please listen to it. So we've, so the, the difficulty with meetings is the insanity of getting people to stop the workflow to talk about the workflow. It is so expensive and our manufacturing colleagues would never do that. So we have to really think, is it necessary to get everybody to come together on this? So if it is a brainstorm, if it's a, if it's a collective decision, and again, we know one of the causes of, of drag is over collaboration. So too many people in a meeting um, who haven't been properly briefed, you know, et cetera, it's a nightmare. So like everything, it comes down to good leadership. You know, if you're calling a meeting and you've sent out papers in advance, it is not acceptable for some people to rock up having not read the papers. And then, you know, and I've read it and I'm listening while you do a recap. That's just going to really demotivate me. So we have to think, why am I calling this meeting? Is there a better way to do it? I'm always, you know, we both come from sales. Why have a Friday afternoon sales meeting and then a Monday morning sales meeting? Because actually, you know, now when time is precious, especially on a Monday morning, I want to be sorting out my clients out. I don't want to be hearing about your weekend. Fascinating though it probably was. So these are, you know, just because we've done it this way doesn't mean we have to keep going. I, I, I do like your idea of starting meetings at uh, quarter past the hour. I, I, it's, it's, I've toyed with it in my mind before because I noticed that I, I think there's a difference between people who work for a large organisation and people who are entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs will be on the call early. The people who work for the large organisation will be on the call on time at the earliest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and they run their schedules to the hour or the half hour. So I have noticed so many people will yeah. finish a meeting smack bang on the hour or half hour. I, I remember a few years ago, I was running a series of training sessions for a big insurance company and in-house. And that, so I had a room in their offices. And as I came to wind up at three minutes to the hour, someone came in for to set up for the next meeting because they were starting on the hour. No one had told me. But they are so driven to that hour yeah. to hour. Uh, no, and if you create a space for them to have a conversation with each other, we can get that relationship building within it, which is great. It's such a, it's such a quick, easy win, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. I think the other thing is, if if you if you join a call late, it's the same as going to a networking event. If you go when everybody else is there, it's much harder to break into it, isn't it? Whereas if you're at the beginning chit-chatting, you're sort of getting, your, you, 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 you're calming down, you're getting your mojo back and all that, you're, you're having a chat with people. You, you already have more impact, don't you? So I don't quite get why everybody, I know why, and I know why they run late. That's why I'm having this conversation. But it's an easy win to organise yourself. But you know what that is? It's perfectionism. And we're all perfectionists. So to, so to be clear, as you know, a perfectionist doesn't want everything to be perfect. It's just that we um, feel that we're never good enough. Nothing is ever good enough. So if I've got a meeting at two, I will try and do a squillion small field mice before that and try and, and I'll probably fire off loads of emails continuing the train. So perfectionists are always, always running late rather than realizing, actually, I need to relationship build. And it would be much better for me to kind of demonstrate some ease and turn up for that call, calm, early, putting the presenter at ease, having a little chat, already starting to influence things my way, trying to do that rather than trying to do a load more small stuff. Because, you know, the small stuff ultimately have no, has no impact. I think that's that's uh, superb advice. Uh, I mentioned just before that we we had discussed meetings in more depth in one of the episodes. That's the Katerina Costula one about three months ago, if anyone wants to uh, look back and find that. Uh, Katerina's written an excellent book purely on the topic of, of, of having perfect or great meetings. And uh, a lot of the advice she shares, I think you've, you've just reflected, Zena. Uh, you've Can mentioned... Add something, sorry. Yeah. I, I yeah, sure. Recently, people are having a lot of meetings rather than just a call. So rather than trying to, you know, I, I do think we need to get back into the habit of just picking up the phone and dealing with things. 
So even if we're not in the same office, we're defaulting to a face-to-face virtual meeting, aren't we? When actually we could deal with something over a call and it's much quicker. And again, I've got some clients who are, who say, look, you know, I do not understand why my peers are just so hard to get hold of. They delay everything. They're, they're making us slow on projects because they're multitasking and they're missing deadlines. You know, and you can never get hold of them where he's in a business partnering role. And he says, I just pick up the phone and people love me. And that's my job. But we just nip nip problems in early. Yeah. And you you mentioned that before about just picking up the phone and and dealing with people rather than an email chain as well. I think you're you're right. Again, something I've talked about before. Constant Zoom calls, team calls are exhausting. They zap our concentration. And the amount of people that I talk to who are just shattered by them. And just picking up the phone and walking away from your desk, you know, we're talking on a really sunny day, make a 15 minute call in the garden, get some fresh air. And and so it's healthier on a number of different levels. And that actually makes it easier to connect because you become more human in the process. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions for you. you. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the the hybrid working and remote working that, that we've all experienced over the last 18 months. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, whether people are making the most of the, of the saved commutes, and you've already shot that one down in flames, which I probably expected you to do, to be fair. Um, but how um, how have the last 18 months impacted on our ability to manage our time? Is, is it for the better or for the worse? And how can we adapt to a new hybrid working world and use that to our advantage when it comes to focusing on the right things? I think um, we've we've ended up with far more meetings and far too many emails, messages and digital channels. And I think at the beginning of lockdown, people had a lot of check-ins, but then they were, and then they also built in all these extra digital channels, so lots of WhatsApps, lots of Teams calls. So in order to help people feel that they're still connected. And now they have to say they have to recontract and, and to quote Gwynny, kind of consciously uncouple a bit and say, OK, how are we going to work together going forward? What do you need from me? Where can you be left to get on with? How can we back off? So these are all the things leaders and managers should be doing is saying what works, what meetings work for you? How do you like to get this information through? What works best for you? So that's the that's the first thing. I think also people have to be crystal clear it always comes back down to this on what their performance is being measured on and what the components are in order that they have to do that. So the tasks and then just simply think simply, but it's not that simple. What is it I need to do this week? When is the best time to do it? And where is the best place to do it? So it's pointless coming into the office. I think we've kind of established that deep work for most of us is better not done in an open plan office with our colleagues all back. So we might, I mean, I I love to go to a coffee shop for a couple of hours and get on with something. That's my best place to do it. So wherever we need to go. So people have to really get on top of this, get in front of it and think, what do I need to do? When do I need to do it? When is the best time to do it? So it could be that we, when we're more, when we're tired, we're more creative. We've got some creative brainstorming to do. Let's do it towards the end of the day when we're not so, you know, our brain is not so good at kind of filtering out the more creative things. So we have to actively discuss this rather than just kind of, which is my fear, just start slipping in again three days a week and not really thinking and communicating on it. And like all of these things, it's an experiment, is it? You know, let's do it for one month, let's see how it works, and then let's regroup and think about it. But what I, I, a couple of my clients have done, which I've just is great, is they've blocked out group flow or deep work time. And we know that this is the essence of it, isn't it? That people that can work for a couple of hours in flow a day are five times more successful, they work fewer hours, they earn more money, et cetera. It's the holy grail of career success, I think. So one of my clients has said, okay, we're not having any meetings on a Friday afternoon. 
So that's your time to get out and build relationships and talk to each other. So not we're not having internal meetings. Let's get out and talk to people outside our department. They're having um, uh, flow time every day over lunch. So I think between 12 and 2 is blocked out, no internal emails. And, you know, they're, they're talking about how this they can do this collectively as a team in order to facilitate, facilitate the work. Another of my clients has said Monday mornings is absolutely sacred. No meetings on a Monday. If at all possible, no internal emails. If there's a drama, we'll ring you. But there isn't a drama. It's kind of get on top, get organized and plan. So and I just don't think people have got enough time to plan. So it it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, and there seems to be a theme running through this, carving out time, chunking it, deep work. Uh, understanding what the priorities are and how you can organize and structure your week so that you you're not being consumed by all the little things that are just taking up a huge amount of your time yeah I think it's it's being intentional with your time isn't it it's thinking why am I doing this why am I doing this what else can I be doing instead why isn't somebody else doing it does it really matter you know why am I finessing this powerpoint deck it's ridiculous you know, I could have, do I need to do PowerPoint? But people in corporate life love a deck, don't they? You know, let's have a rethink. Do we really need to do a PowerPoint on this? Because who actually reads the slides afterwards? So it's having some difficult conversations and being intentional. And then when we're doing something, we do it. We knock it out of the park. We do it wholeheartedly because it matters. But then if we're doing something else, you know, you can't actually... You know, you can't bath your kids while you're looking at your iPhone. I mean, you just can't. But we, you know, we we try, you know, we try and cook a meal while checking our emails, all those sorts of things. I think it's doing one thing at once because they're kind of racing around trying to do everything just absolutely needs a reset. Okay, so my final question to you, even just there, but I think throughout our conversation, it's very clear that you see technology, social media, uh, iPhones, whatever it might be, is one of the major factors that is dragging our time and, and, and taking it away from us. I'm sure the, 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 the software developers, the designers of this technology would argue that actually they are time-saving devices. So to what degree are they creating more time for us? Are they making it easier for us to find the time to build relationships or do whatever we have to do. Are CR- CRMs a waste of space or do they make our life easier? Social media, does it have an upside? What are the benefits of, of technology? Well, well, we know that Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, said that he views sleep as a competitor. Okay, mm-hmm. now I don't know about you, but sleep is the absolute be all. If I've had a good night's sleep, I have a good day. If I don't, that's it. But I equally, I love, I, you know, I love Netflix. I love Audible. We wouldn't be able to do our work, would we, if it, if it wasn't? So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a dinosaur, but let me, let me invite people to do this test, okay? So you're doing a bit of work. Your WhatsApp pings, okay? I promise you, you will do at least two other things before you go back to the piece of work that you're doing. So we have these fantastic tech minds who, who spend night and day figuring out how to get you on their app and keep you there. And I have, you know, I have a bad habit on Instagram. I've come off Facebook because I think of the damage it's done to parliamentary democracy. Plus also I've got way too many exes to stalk. So I'm not quite on the <laughs> moral high ground with it. Um, but I think that's just a, that is just a massive hideous time set. And again, people confused being on Facebook and talking to somebody with a valued relationship. Um, LinkedIn has been a massive, I mean, extra cruiser LinkedIn has been a massive game changer for our industry. However, you know, you need to take those relationships offline as quickly as you possibly can, because just being connected on LinkedIn, that's not a relationship. That's just a, that's just a LinkedIn connection. Let's be clear. It's the start of a conversation point and it's some way that people keep in contact with each other so I think I think the danger is that we have to use the technology not let it use us and just try that experiment of you're distracted by something you know it is very difficult not to check your news 
you know, you get you get a message, then you check another message, then you check something else. And it is the cumulative effect of all those pockets of time that don't seem to be much that you add them up in the day and you think, this is why there are 168 hours in a week, but you had to take last week off to read a book, you know, which I'm sure is incredibly precious to you. So it's 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 those it's that is the problem is the the small elements of distraction that we don't really know notice and time is running through our fingers. Lena, um, time is running through our fingers, uh, but you will be back to join me for the Thursday shorter interview where we talk about how professional relationships have had an impact on your career. But in the meantime, thank you very much. That was great. Thank you very much to Zena for her insights there. You may have heard all sorts of things going on in the background. Kids playing outside, the ice cream van turning up, Amazon ringing on my door. That's the the modern world, I'm afraid. Uh, But I hope that you could bear with us and you could take some real nuggets away from our conversation. I did love what Zena had to say about how we're perfectionists, but perfectionism isn't all about being perfect, but it's always doing that little bit more, that little bit more, and that little bit more. And I think we can we can look at that in two ways. One is, are we spending so much time on getting things right that we're not leaving time to build the relationships? And also, do we see the time we invest in building relationships as too daunting when there are many little things we can do just to move things along. And, you know, that that that, that focus at the end, um, I did ask Zena about the good sides of social media, but you could see that she can see it as a drag and a drain above anything else. And as she said, time is running through our fingers. So I won't take up any, of more, any more of your time today. I hope that you found that valuable. Uh, Zena rejoins us on Thursday when we look at the role of professional relationships in her career and her take on a couple of uh, a couple of takeaways she's picked up from books that she's read and people that she's worked with. So check that out on Thursday. And of course, subscribe, leave ratings and reviews, which I always appreciate. And we'll see you again soon on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.